Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. The Director's Cut is now available on Spotify, so please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Matthew Miguel Cullen's new thriller, London Fields, The Director's Cut. The film weaves the tale of Nicola Six, a femme fatale who ensnares three men, a writer, a small-time crook, and an upper-class banker, into a tangled love affair. The twist, she knows that one of these men will ultimately become her murderer. London Fields is Mr. Cullen's feature directorial debut. His other credits include music videos for Katy Perry, Green Day, The Black Eyed Peas, and Adele. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theatre in Los Angeles, Mr. Cullen spoke with director Florian Henkel von Donnersmark about filming London Fields. During their conversation, Mr. Cullen discusses how he personally connected with the main character, casting against type for some of the roles, and his motivation for releasing the film despite the harrowing post-production process. So just so you know who's who, I'm Florian, this is Matthew, the director. Hello. Um, and um, so uh, just to explain why I'm here and doing this moderation, why uh, Matthew asked me, I had um, w once when I was embarking on a project that was a very complicated project where, I, where in a way my agent suggested that I create a movie to show people that this was actually something marketable. Um, I was told that the person who really knows how to present and sell anything is um, Matthew Cullen, and I was put in touch with his company, Mirada, which was uh, is, is was Matthew and and Guillermo del Toro uh, as partners in this company, and he put me in touch with an amazing creative team uh, of really just top-level people. He had hundreds of such creative people working for him within a, this great company, Mirada, and um, so that's how we got to know each other, and um, I know that at that point, uh, Matthew was someone who um, was probably, uh, you know, is probably the hottest um, uh, music uh, video and commercial director in town and had um, worked with all the greats in music videos, um, uh, had worked with uh, Jay-Z and, um, and Adele and Katy Perry and Pink and, you know, R.E.M., anybody you can think of, all the great names, um, they all want um, Matthew to direct their videos. And uh, and, and some of these videos, like, uh, have uh, over, you know, have billions of hits. It's really interesting. He, he manages to create something that just makes you watch the whole thing. So I was very intrigued when... Um, Matthew told me about his plans to uh, of, of feature filmmaking, and he had a very beautiful project that he he was developing about um, the outsider artist Darger. And then suddenly, I think this was about maybe six years ago or so, you I I, I just heard that Matthew had 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 embarked on the journey of bringing um, Martin Amis's London Fields uh, to the to the big screen. I was really surprised to hear that. So you know. Um, the question that I'd like to lead with is, what made you, you know, you were courted by all the studios um, uh, for, for the biggest projects. You had this uh, incredibly successful company. Um, uh, and, and 
you know, you you pushed all that aside uh, to focus on this film um, and devote, I think now, how many years of your life to it? <laughs> I think it's five years. Five years <laughs> in 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 a battle, and we'll get into that uh, in 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 this discussion, which the DGA has asked me to keep to exactly half an hour. Um, but <laughs> um, but but you know, so it, it's it's an, a truly epic battle uh, that that Matthew fought for his vision of the film. It might be that this is the only time that that vision. Uh, gets to be seen by all of us. It's yet to be seen what version of the movie is going to be released on um, on iTunes, uh, you know, and for, for later consumption. Yep. So, what made you embark on this? Why why this project? Why did you put all your life and passion and resources and everything into this? Well, thank you for that introduction, by the way, um, Florian. I'm very honored to have you uh, up here um, moderating, um, and thank you everybody for coming tonight. Um, it, it's, uh, it's been an incredible journey uh, to get uh, the film up on the big screen, and there's uh, probably no uh, prouder place that I, can, that I can have it play than at the DGA, you know, amongst, uh, amongst my peers. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's five years of, um, I, I call it, it's the London Fields Twilight Zone episode because it doesn't ever seem to end. It's the director that can't get the, the, the film that he, uh, that he envisioned and wanted to put on the big screen from the very beginning uh, up on the big screen. Um, so, uh, but, you know, why did I do it? <laughs> yeah. um, I've asked myself that uh, many, many times over the years uh, at different phases of, of this project. Um, and, you know, it, it was at that time... Um, my uh, company was doing very, very well, very successful, and there was a window of opportunity where I felt like, okay, you know what, I can walk away, you know, from my my company, you know, which I ran and was a sort of the 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 head creative um, for Murata, um, and so there was this window of opportunity, um, and you know, I was attached to you know various projects, studio projects, uh, and didn't really imagine that I would have made a um, an a completely independent feature film uh, like London Fields, but um, it, you know, a, a director had recently dropped off, a director named Shaker Kapoor, and this project actually was, um, was in development for 12 years uh, before it, it, it reached me. Um, and, uh, you know, the producers were interested, and, uh, you know, Billy Bob Thornton was already attached to the film, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, this, this sort of script made it to me and, you know, based on this legendary book, you know, um, um, incredible book, London Fields, you know, by Martin Amos. And, you know, I, I immediately read the script and sort of saw the potential in it and, and, and read the book, which, which, which is, is, is truly a masterpiece. And, you know, just, just, uh, you know, there were so many kind of themes within the book that really connected with me. Um, you know, it, it, uh, um, you know, these themes of, of, uh, you know, of, of creativity and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, struggling with failure and how do you, how do you create something, you know, of, of meaning in the world and, you know, that there was this sort of juxtaposition of all these really over the top characters, um, these Dickensian like characters, um, and, uh, but grounded in, in, you know, some real truth. I mean, Martin Amos, you know, wrote it, um, I believe it was in the late eighties, uh, but it was almost like a, a, a kind of prophecy of, of, you know, of things to come, you know, in the world. Uh, in, in what way? Um, you know, that it, it, you know, was dealing with, uh, you know, actually climate change and, you know, um, and war, 
Um, and you know, the, the sort of whole backdrop of, of the film is, is a world that's falling apart. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two nuclear warheads that are, are pointed towards London. And, you know, so everybody's trying to get out and there's this one guy that's trying to get in, you know, mm-hmm. to, to sort of find, find a story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this, this kind of like backdrop of, um, of, of fear and, and destruction, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it's not, not, not too different than how we all feel right now, um, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with sort of living in the, you know, this, in, in, the, in the, the news climate right now. Um, but just back to why I connected with it, it had, it had both a, a, a really powerful kind of truth at its core and themes that connected with me, but it was also had the potential to be poppy. You know, I had a potential to sort of do something that I can do, you know, some, you know, interesting world building with. Mm -hmm. And um, as you know, with a lot of the work that, you know, I've done over the years, it tends to be world building. You know, it, you know, the videos are sort of their own little universes and, you know, they, they, you know, take place at different times and, you know, different genres. And, you know, I like to mix it up a lot. And, you know, I saw the potential in that, you know, something that was um, almost like a graphic novel. But uh, but grounded with uh, you know through the, the sort of the, the the performance of Billy Bob you know as our our, our sort of unreliable narrator mm-hmm. um, you know following his uh, you know his his sort of his journey throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say I mean that's it's uh, it's an interesting and I find unusual answer because normally when when directors talk about what drew them towards something it is towards a project they you will talk about how they fell in love with. Uh, certain characters, so you know, or all the characters, and and I mean that would be that would be a you know a question that I have for you on this is you know I can I can see completely that you've you know you've uh, fallen in love certainly in lust with Amber Heard here. I mean I think she's uh, incredibly sexy as you present her and uh, very attractive and mysterious, and that's why I hate you all the more for how you murder her in the end. Um, but um, I um, you know is it did you did you love these characters? I mean are they are they people that you connect with? Um, you know this is a film that right. you know it, it's kind of right. I think this is this has to be just by virtue of the fact that. You know, this is truly your cut. You had complete control. You had, um, uh, you know, y- you worked on it for five years. This has to be very much, uh, in a way, a self-portrait of your soul. Uh, sure. So I'm a sure. little disturbed by that. <laughs> <laughs> and and I find it, you know, I, therefore I just want to hear, hey. you know, are you that are you that dark? Is that your do you, you do you love you, the characters? You did ask me this earlier, for <laughs> Well, let me let me tell you, I I, uh, you know, there it. You know, th- these characters can seem sort of uh, unredeemable and you know un- unlikable at times, um, but they're all sort of struggling with something. You know, um, it uh, um, you know for for uh, for Nicola Six, you know she's um, the sort of woman that is uh, her own sort of beauty and her own uh, you know uh, drive and you know this uh, this idea that she is. Um, you know, has been surrounded with death, you know, throughout her life, um, you know, and, and is sort of almost like a victim, a victim of her own sexuality, um, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, for her, it's like, how, how can she f- find love with that kind of, uh, you know, those sort of things that are running through, you know, like how she lives, um, where every man wants, you know, is trying to control her, 
you know, every man wants her to be, you know, like, the, you know, whatever they imagine, you know, for Keith, it's the woman that's going to sort of help him to become the greatest darts player in the world and, you know, make him worth something, you know, for Guy, uh, you know, you know, for once in his life, he gets to protect somebody, um, you know, uh, um, and the irony is, and the thing that makes me really connected, you know, me with her character was that, um, you know, she's incredibly broken, you know, because no one is really sort of looking at her, looking at, you know, who she is. Um, and the irony is that a, a man that, a, um, that Samson, who is also dying, um, you know, who also has, you know, very, very limited, you know, time, you know, to, to survive, who, who, uh, is, uh, is struggling with, um, you know, his own, uh, brokenness that the two of them on this timeline, you know, like, uh, you know, like find, find love, you know, so it's this really, um, you know, strange love story that takes place. Um, you know, so so back to your question. You know, like, did you did you did you love the characters? You know, absolutely. You know, I think each character I said found something to to really connect with. You know, Keith is you know it's just such a tragedy. You know, it's like completely tragic character and you know very very over the top and boisterous. You know, but and um, and uh, you know, but you know, there's something inherently uh, you know uh, likable. You know, about his. Um, you know, his drive. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> For me, at least, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. as a director. Yeah, um, no, no, sure. But, but the most important thing I'd say, the, the character that I did connect with most is, you know, Samson. Yeah. Um, you know, because as we're experiencing his reality, we don't know what is true and what is not true. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, here is... It, you know, for me, it was about... Um, it, you know, in terms of where, you know, how I held up a mirror to myself was, you know, as I was sort of struggling, you know, in that edit bay, you know, to find the kind of truth of the story. It's like, here's a guy that is, is uh, you know, is, is basically at the end of his life has failed, you know, at, at, um, at art and at love. And essentially, there's no second chances for him, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, um, and one of the things that happens in the film is, uh, you know, through, through uh, this kind of like dreamlike flashback is... That it, you know, we learned that his publisher, basically, uh, who he had a relationship with, at the very end of his life, he asked her to basically go away with him and you know, and and spend those last days, you know, with him. And she basically said no, mm -hmm. you know. So here he is, and he has nothing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know. So what do you do when you know, like, your world is falling apart? You're completely alone, and you just are there at your computer. Right. And um, how can you make something that lasts? Um, and, and, and what do you feel compels him in the end to murder her? Um, well, I mean, it's a question as to whether he murders her or not. You know, is 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 it a murder? Um, you know, uh, my intention is to sort of leave that open, you know, to the audience when she mm -hmm. says, please, you know, is she saying, please kill me? Mm -hmm. um, is she saying, please don't kill me? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, is is she is she real? Is she a character in the book? Is she representative of, of you know, of of sort of his his broken heart um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh is is she representative of 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 essentially what is um what amos was 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 doing with the book was creating a poppy um thriller as a a um a big f u to the publishing industry mm -hmm. when he mm -hmm. wrote it but it was really about much more mm -hmm. um so i I, yeah. I think you got um 
a really strong performance out of Billy Bob Thornton. I thought he was, you know, I, I also thought, you know, it was, um, Amber Heard, I thought, was very, very strong, much stronger than I've seen her in, in other films. Um, I also think that, Thank the, you. yeah, and the Johnny Depp uh, um, character, I thought, was really interesting to watch. It's interesting how those characters seem very, um, you know, cast also close to the, to the kind of persona that they sometimes uh, represent or you know have have uh, uh, played before, and with some of the other characters, you go drastically against in a way who they are. So, what, for example, what led to the casting of uh, Jim uh, Sturgis, who is someone that you know you normally think of as a very friendly, yeah. nice young uh, Kempt uh, boy, sure. as 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 this this incredibly filthy character. <laughs> um, well, in in May I say that it that what you see on the screen is reflective of the material in the book. Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm I'm an, I'd say Keith is actually a lot filthier than he appears on wow. the screen okay. in the book. <laughs> um, but uh, well, I you know I've I've always been a fan of Jim's, and Jim uh, has played a diversity of characters, mm -hmm. um, and uh, has been shown you know uh, in in the performances to you know do things that are also not type. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the thing that ultimately kind of where I said, okay, you know, I could see him, uh, as Keith Talent is, I think that it is this, is this person that is not as tough as they, they they want to appear, mm -hmm. you know, that they're actually, they're, they're, um, that the whole thing is a complete facade, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and so they need to push themselves more, you right. know, to, to appear a certain way. And ultimately, even when Jim was, you know, like in, as Keith Talent is acting tough, we know that he's not that tough underneath, that the whole thing mm -hmm. is, is, you know, okay. is a fake. Mm -hmm. And so that's ultimately why I was like, you know, I can, I can see Jim, you know, within, mm -hmm. you know, within this role. All right. And what about um, the Theo James' character? Um, I mean, I, I thought I, I had only been aware of him actually in... A, a very very unlikely role, namely where in, in in Downton Abbey, where he plays the son of the Turkish ambassador who dies from a heart attack when he has sex with Mary Crawley. I mean, the, really, the weirdest <laughs> plot twist in any uh, you know, like uh, uh, jumping the shark in episode one. Um, but it was um, you know, but he was very you know, uh, very commanding and compelling, beautiful presence yeah. as he as he is here. I thought it was very interesting to you know, as the person most. Uh, you know, mesmerized by Amber Heard's beauty in a right. way to choose someone who is equally beautiful. What was what was the thinking behind that? I think well, it. I mean, Theo. I'd seen him in multiple performances, and you know, when you're when you're casting, you're also looking at like, okay, well, you know, what uh, at the time his his star was really rising, you know, mm -hmm. and he's becoming a, you know very much a heartthrob. Um, but ultimately, it was just he was just you know a, a really great actor, mm -hmm. um, and actually he's. He does appear much more. Um, it's it's funny. He's he appears much more macho, and mm -hmm. you know he goes to that place easily. So as when I was directing him, I really had to work at kind of stripping him down so that he can he had permission to sort of feel not like he normally is, mm -hmm. to feel weak, to feel a little pathetic, to feel like somebody that's been you know like uh, uh, henpecked over the years, you know, who really. Um, uh, you know, is sort of trying to find his voice. So essentially the two characters, um, uh, Keith Talent and Guy Clinch, they're on opposite ends at the, be at the beginning of the film, right? Mm -hmm. Keith is a powerful one, you know, um, and Guy Clinch is the weak one. 
And Nicola Six essentially, you know, through her manipulations, she completely changes that, you mm-hmm. know, so that they become uh, what the others were, you okay. know, at the beginning. So um, really in casting against type for both of them, mm-hmm. you know, because the guy Clinch is a bit of a chump, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, it was my goal was to actually, you know, like, like, like turn their, yes. you know, their, their, you know, the, the, the strengthen one and weaken one, okay. you know, okay. over the course of, of, you know, the film. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but before we go into the whole incredible production adventure, uh, that were these five years, I just want to ask you one more creative question. What, what was your main thinking behind the, the, the these montage sequences, mainly of destruction, but, sure. you know, of also other sure. things? What's the... What was the what was the main impulse behind that? I mean, it's just you know, there's there's a you know the underlying material of the book mm-hmm. um, is it's using all sorts of language from um, you know from uh, you know a nuclear war you know uh, um, you know Trinity uh, you know the, the sort of the, the the history of of war mm-hmm. um, you know throughout um, and you know obviously Enola Gay and Little Boy um, and um, and so there was a, a real kind of natural vernacular to be using, doc, uh, you know, a documentary approach to run concurrent to, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe the more slick or cinematic, you know, mm-hmm. like filmmaking style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually the only way to tell the story because um, the original script had been written in a way where it was actually dealt more with the surface plot. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was, um, it didn't deal with like the layers. Mm-hmm. Um and I knew that going in, but I also knew that I was going to be able to solve it with some, the way I was going to tell it in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was an absolute necessity, you know, mm-hmm. to be, to, you know, to use Robert, uh, Robert Oppenheimer as a, uh, this sort of ghost, this voice that, you know, that, that runs, you know, throughout, um, you know, throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to to go into this adventure of production, I mean, already you know when a film starts with, uh, you know, and it takes several minutes for the logos of the production companies to all have been shown. You already know uh, <laughs> that that's going to be a troubled production. Um, and uh, when when I looked it up uh, in in on IMDb, you have thirty eight producers listed. Uh, yes. That's you know close to a record. But I've 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 seen Maybe it on record. I've seen it on other films. Um, you know with multiple producers always they have um uh, somehow trajectories of the production which are um you know very traumatic for yeah. the director uh so you know um from what i understand um when your film was uh, released in october it was right uh, or when when was it released um, um yeah it was uh, end of october end of october you had so it, it might be that only one of the 650 theaters that screened it actually screened the cut that we just saw, right? That is true. So, yeah. uh, so, so this, um, this is truly the director's cut. And um, there was a, a, a war with uh, several of the 38 uh, producers <laughs> um, that led to various branches of the film. And we'll get into that in a second. But the... the uh, this um, this this cut, which you which you wage such a courageous battle against over the years, this this you know, or these alternate cuts, um, the one that made it to the theater. What was the main difference um, to what we saw here, and why was it so offensive to you? Um, okay, so just to give a little bit of like a backdrop, um, 
you know, this is, so I directed it five years ago. Um, and uh, at, at the four-year mark, or just before the four-year mark, the film took like divergent directions. So mm -hmm. it went in two different directions. Basically, so, the producers took the cut away from you, or took a cut away from you. There were some. They basically there was a it, uh, um, one of the producers, and then the wife of the producer who wrote the you know mm -hmm. was one of the writers on the script. These are the Henleys, right? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They they uh, they started cutting their own version under the guise of giving me notes, mm -hmm. um, and they essentially recut that film over something like nine months. Okay, um, and uh, and. And the actors saw both films, both mm -hmm. my film and their film, and every single actor wrote, you. wrote letters on, on, the behalf, on my behalf and begged them actually to, to sort of support the picture. What was, um, the biggest, what was the biggest difference, would you say? I mean, if it just, uh, of course, well, it goes into thousands of little things. Yeah, sure. Um, it, and, uh, you know, just to add one thing. So essentially there's what was screened um, in the end of October and was on, you know, 600 plus screens. Uh, theaters, London Fields, not London Fields, the director's cut, was actually another cut. So it was another cut that was based on the producer's cut. So um, By yet another yeah. producer who came in to, to another save Another producer the picture, and another right? group yeah. of investors, mm -hmm. you know, that came in. So essentially... And the original producers actually started backing your cut, right? Correct. <laughs> so, um, so what happened was in 2015, uh, when the films diverged and the actors you know, were pushing, you know, to, to get my cut released, the producers uh, got a cut in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, and that cut, uh, I mean, it basically the difference, I mean, ma uh, you know, huge differences, but thematically, essentially, uh, Samson Young's performance had been nearly stripped away. And it had been, it's, uh, so the dramatic core of the film, you know, the relationship between, you know, uh, Nicholas Six and Samson Young, that is, you know, Without you don't it basically keeps the whole film on the rails. You know this sort of this Dickensian like you know like story does not work if you don't have that dramatic core. They strip that away. They rearrange pieces. They put um, 9/11 uh, 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 jumper depictions cut against you know like like pilot porn pornography. I mean you can can even make this stuff up. Mm -hmm. um, you know like uh, uh, there was there was a. Um, you know, some very, some, what could have been very dangerous, uh, you know, uh, um, footage of like the holy site in Mecca cut against like destruction and, um, you know, some very, some things that were very alarming to me. Mm -hmm. Um, the nudity was expressed in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. It was much more, um, gratuitous. Um, it was, um, it was exactly what I did not, I didn't want it to be. And, and what Amber Heard and I, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, agreed to. Um, it was the opposite of that. You know, so for me, it was violating so many things. You know, that, that were sort of core. You know, to to the protections that a director tries to create when they're when when they oh create goodness. that I kind mean, of environment. Complete. I mean, it's in a way every director's worst nightmare. Yeah. And that's what I thought was also so you know so very interesting about this. So one question that I have to ask you is why did you not take your name off that other cut because now sure. you have a zero percent on rotten tomatoes you have the second worst opening in wide release <laughs> way history to, way or, to rub it in there <laughs> yeah, um, exactly no no but you know but interestingly all this thing, based yeah. on a cut yeah that's not yours well so, so i mean that's that's kind of that that must why didn't you why didn't you take your name off it so that cut so the toronto cut 
basically I, I sued to sort of separate myself from it because I was actually concerned, you know, I was deeply concerned about what, you know, the, the feedback was going to be on many, many levels. Of course. It still came out. The critics, you know, rightfully so tore it to pieces. Um, you know, I, uh, the lawsuit stopped, you know, was, the film was dropped and then it went into hiatus for two years and then another group came in and they essentially recut the producer's cut. So imagine like a mutated, distorted version of a mutated, you know, like so distorted it gets, film. It's even worse. The second, the, the, the kind of the, the, the mutated. I love the producer's cut. cut compared to what came out. <laughs> um, you can't even believe, um, I mean, at least the producer's cut was, yeah. had some cool music and was like avant-garde and weird. And mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. kind of scratch your head and go, what the hell's going on? Yeah. I mean, um, these are the producers who made Virgin Suicides yeah. and Buffalo 66 I, and, you know, American Psycho, very uh, illustrious films. But, you know, but they, they basically, uh, they came, you know, it, this past year, they, uh, um, I, let's say a year ago, I just, uh, almost the exact time, I said, in order to get this film done, in order to get my film up on the screen, and for this whole nightmare to end, the only thing I can do is basically finance the finishing the picture myself. Mm-hmm. And so I financed the, the, you know, the complete finishing the picture. I onlined it myself, um, you know. Uh, you know, Put a lot many, of your own money into it. A lot of my own money. Uh, how much you know, money did uh, you actually make on the film? What was your? How, uh, did they? <laughs> what happened with your s- salary? Was it well, more than you were paid in your salary? Um, yeah, I still haven't been paid one cent on the entire in, in directing wow. the entire picture. And that's, um, that's conviction to really. But it's. Uh, they just um, simply did not write. They did not cut you the check. They did not pay did you. Did not make one dime. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. But you asked, like, so why did I? Why did I hang in there? Um, I wouldn't have been able to talk about it now. So, like, part of me yeah. uh, being here and getting that film up was to be able to talk about my story. But fundamentally, the most important thing, the reason I sur- I went through it all, the reason I financed it all, was because I believe what was up there. I believe okay. in that film. I mean, that's really amazing because, uh, so, I mean, this is truly, in a way, what you've experienced tonight here because this is, you know, the one showing this will this will get here, and we don't even know if this cut will will live beyond today. It's truly like that wonderful uh, Danish uh, novel by by uh, Tanya Blixen and the movie that was made of Babette's Feast, where uh, Babette sacrifices her entire fortune to create one meal, yeah. um, uh, uh, as as because she was this great chef yeah. in a past life and creates this one meal, and it's consumed by very few people. But um, in a way, she's happy with that. So you would uh, are you now? You know, this crazy adventure that you went through, sacrificing large parts of your fortune, not making a single dime, uh, being at war with um, with incredibly powerful people, having to wage um, legal battles and all that. Was it all worth it to now have this on screen in one theater and here at this at this at, at this at this screening? Absolutely. See, I mean, that that now that that I think really deserves uh, ab- an applause. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> Because well, you know, it, it's I, I, I really I really I really I find that fascinating, and that's what you. really fascinates me about this film um, is, you know, how just having one's vision fulfilled, whether people agree with that vision or not, you know, that is in a way becomes something, becomes a mission in life, and and I find I find it in a way doubly interesting in your case because you've made so many commercials, and you know, probably also in the in the music videos where often. You know, the, the very thing that, for instance, had made me afraid of embarking on uh, commercials is that you have to be so accommodating with people. And if they want to change something, you say, yes, of course. You know, it's part of being professional to change it. It's not like it, they will appreciate a fight for that. So 
in a way, I find it so interesting that you, as a person coming from that world, fought with such conviction for well, for this. It, it it's a very good point. I am actually a very accommodating director. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there were a hundred like points, like a hundred times when I could at least where I'm like, all right, please. Let's come together. Let's figure this out. I beg you, mm-hmm. you know, just give me some notes, you know, like let's work from this cut. Like, and people, it, everybody believed, okay, they have the answers. They knew what the better thing, not the director. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing that's very, um, it's a trend that I think is, is completely wrong, which is that, that, that the director is somehow like out of their mind, yeah. you know, somehow can't accommodate notes you know, can't work, you know, to sort of figure it out. You know, we've got to get the director out of the edit base so we can really do what we need to do to fix this film. And if you think about it, it's it's completely absurd. I mean, it it's like even leading up to um, the, you know, the 600 theater release in which we had, you know, between one and 10, we only one confirmed. Basically, there was a negotiation at the very end that, According to the DGA, it's the first time that it's ever happened, which is there was a simultaneous release of essentially the investor cut, mm-hmm. um, which was wide release, uh, you know, almost mm-hmm. 600 theaters, and the director's cut. Mm-hmm. And it was because of my legal circumstances that um, that the distributor was accommodating at the very end. They didn't yeah. promote it. I did the promotion myself. Yeah. But just to to tell you about absurd here, you know, it it because this whole thing is a is 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 like this is a dark comedy. Mm. Um, uh, three weeks before the movie was released, the London Fields, the investor cut um, here in the states, it came out in Russia. Okay, and uh, yeah, um, mm. exactly. <laughs> and it because there were Russian investors in this latest mm-hmm. cut, um, and. The reviews were scathing. I mean, it, scathing would be a positive way to describe, <laughs> you know, what the reviews were. And I literally was like Google translating the reviews, and I sent them to all the parties, and I begged them Not to, to read the, the reviews. I said, you know what? Somebody's come from the future. Mm-hmm. They've come and they said, here's the reviews of the movie that's going to happen when you do the wide release, and they all thought that they knew what was right and the director was wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, even like. Uh, the marketing people were supposed to look at the cut, look at both cuts, and decide which was the most marketable. Yeah, I tr- I I sent the link out of the director's cut on a software where I can track how much they watch. Yeah, the marketing guy watches it, and he says, "Up, oh, the the investors' cut's definitely more marketable, right?" And um, uh, I look at the software, the analytics. He had watched twenty minutes of my film. No. He didn't watch it, and he said that it was more, you know, was was more marketable. But here. After all this, like you asked a very good question, mm-hmm. which was like, was it worth it? It was worth it. And not only that, the original producers, um, you know, the, the, the Hanleys, um, they gave me the distinction after everything that we've been through that London Fields, a director cut, is the final cut and official cut of London Fields. Well, well done. Thank you. So I, I, I applaud you for your director spirit. And, uh, you know, you say that they, you know, the, I, I think all of you were wonderfully crazy in embarking on this project. <laughs> and I, I, I applaud you for, for um, you know, fighting through your vision and for also, you know, in a, in a, uh, for, for really 
seeing this as a positive closure uh, to that whole chapter. I, I really think that that shows Thank that shows so incredible resilience, creative spirit, and and uh, and you know that that you're a real real director. So I appreciate and honored that you thanks uh, very much that you said that. Thank you, Florian. Thank you. Thank you for coming out tonight. I really appreciate you coming out. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned for more episodes, including our upcoming Meet the Nominees series, which will feature panel discussions with DGA Award-nominated feature film and documentary directors. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.